We're back with another episode of Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest, who will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, will be Dr. Jeff Berger. Jeff is the medical director of Guest House, which is a Catholic addiction treatment center specializing in the care of Catholic clergy and religious near Detroit, Michigan. He will update us on what we know and what we don't know about the beneficial and harmful effects of cannabinoids from marijuana to CBD oil. See, this is going to be a great show. I'm really excited. Before we get into the interview, Tom, I wonder if maybe we should set the stage with some of the information just about marijuana and cannabis in general. I think that would be good because then we can get into the nitty gritty with Jeff right when he's on. We don't have to go through any of the basic stuff. And one of the basics is the term cannabis. Cannabis is the name of the genus of the plant where we get marijuana, the one that's used to get the high. But the same plant, Cannabis sativa, has at least two different subspecies. One of them has very little uh, amount of chemicals that give you the high and is used to make hemp, like in rope. But another subspecies is used and is producing gradually higher and higher percentages of the key chemical that makes people high. And that key chemical is called THC tetrahydrocannabinol, one of the first really cool chemical words I learned. Yes, in seventh grade, in the hinterlands of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, we had a course (laughs) on drugs where we had to learn words like tetrahydrocannabinol and lysergic acid diethylamide, which is LSD. (laughs) Yes, hard to believe. And I still remember that. I don't know why. So anyway, when we use the term cannabis, though, we are referring to all forms of marijuana, the whole plant, part of the plant, and sometimes even referring to the chemicals because there was a recent review article, December 2018, in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings called Medical Cannabis. And one of the fascinating things in there explains something that just made my head spin. How could marijuana be a drug that is on the DEA's list known as Schedule One Drugs? A Schedule One drug has a high potential for abuse, has no currently accepted medical treatment in our country, there is no safe use of it that's been proven, and no prescriptions may be written. How can it be on that list with those characteristics and yet be legal in 33 states medically and I think 17 states uh, recreationally? How can this be? Well, there's a workaround. Number one, doctors cannot prescribe it. But what the states where it is legal has done said that they can certify it. This sounds like semantics, wordplay. What do they mean? It means that in these states where it is medically, quote, approved, there are a list of conditions for which it can be used. And so if a physician certifies that marijuana can, uh, that the patient has a disease on this list, then he will certify, yes, patient has this condition. And then the patient takes that certification to a pharmacy. Actually, they don't. They don't take it to a pharmacy that is well controlled. They take it to a marijuana dispensing clinic. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that this workaround would pass the Thomas Aquinas test uh, <laughs> of the, the intent, the object, and the circumstances of the act. I think it's pretty similar to prescribing, but this is the legal lingo that has basically allowed it to grow so much in society. Yes, and so do you really know what you're getting at these cannabis dispensing centers? You really don't because there is no... Uh, approved good manufacturing practices like there are for every drug that you get prescribed or even every over-the-counter drug that you can purchase on your own. Yeah, it's it's something that, you know, we've, part, part of the question is, why is this growing so much? And we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, but you've got to think about the people who are doing this. This is not the, the standard route with very well-controlled studies, very clean manufacturing, and very clear, safe medicines. We recall medicines because one factory someplace in China might have had a, a contamination. I mean, very far down the line just to be safe. 
there's no kind of quality control like that for the marijuana industry. And some of the diseases that states have said can be helped by marijuana, this doesn't talk about medical research, just what's on the list in certain states, Alzheimer's. That's Ooh. my favorite, actually. <laughs> because? Just, think about it. I mean, <laughs> I care for a lot of patients with Alzheimer's, and why in the world would we want to impede the abilities that they have left with marijuana? Exactly. It makes the brain do less of what the brain's supposed to do. Yeah. And I mean, they're already struggling with the, the stuff that they still have. And so that, I mean, that's just amazing. That's an awesome point, Andrew. Uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, wasting conditions or cachexia when the body's just not holding on to food or not very hungry. Well, it does give you the munchies, right? That's right. And it, it does work. It does work. Yeah, it does increase appetite. Cancer, Crohn's disease of the intestines, various causes of seizures, glaucoma, uh, hepatitis C virus disease in the liver, AIDS, uh, muscle spasticity, you know, really tight, stiff muscles in patients with multiple sclerosis. Of course, the one we hear the most about, severe chronic pain. It's the only thing that'll help my pain, Doc. Oh, many stories like that. And uh, severe nausea and post-traumatic stress disorder. So those are some of the things that are out there. Now, the two key chemicals in marijuana that have been discussed nationally over the past few years are THC, which gives the intoxicating effect of the high, and CBD, which stands for cannabidiol, which has no intoxicating properties. That's correct. So drawing that distinction is important for the discussion. And our body has receptors, you know, little buttons that these chemicals push on the cells to make them do things. And these little receptors or buttons are throughout the brain in the, the fear and emotion center, in the memory center, the coordination area of the brain, the cerebellum, and especially in the, in the front part behind your forehead, the prefrontal cortex, that's where we do all our higher level thinking and reasoning. And when you're impairing those areas or affecting them, you see the, the consequences of using the substances. And surprisingly, there are also receptors even in muscle, uh, like in the intestines or the heart, also in the fat cells and some of the white blood cells of the immune system. So what are some of the things that uh, THC does? Well, it impairs learning. It impairs memory. It blocks your ability to orient spatially and to keep squirrel uh, attention. Yeah, it makes your heart go faster, your blood pressure go down, it dries out your mouth and your eyes. Isn't that great? And apparently does have some anti-inflammatory and pain-relieving properties. See, so that, I don't know if it would have been in that order if we were selling marijuana, but those are the scientifically observed facts about what this chemical does to your body. One key thing it doesn't do and explains why people rarely, if ever, die of a, quote, marijuana overdose is that it does not stop your breathing like opioids do, like morphine and Oxycontin can. So that, that is a real advantage insofar as, really, it's not an advantage. It's more of a lack of a certain side effect. Yes. And then there's CBD. CBD doesn't make you high and only weakly reacts with those little receptors or buttons on the cells that the THC reacts with. And it has been approved as of uh, a year ago in uh, late June of 2018. The FDA approved CBD oil solution to treat two rare seizure syndromes or epilepsy syndromes in children. And I know glaucoma is another thing that people talk about using marijuana for, but the data on that's extremely weak. And even the American Glaucoma Society is opposed to medical marijuana. So what are some of the health risks of marijuana? Well, while it won't stop you from breathing, it can give you chronic cough, you know, phlegm, bronchitis, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, just like cigarettes do. Although no increase in lung cancer has been seen. Oh, so there's that. There's that. Right. Oh, and then motor vehicle accidents. Significant increase with THC, but not with CBD. So, yes, we want to legalize people picking up something that's going to increase their traffic accident rates from 22 to 36%. See, I, I kind of wonder in states where it's legal how that got through the legislature. The idea that we're going to have a quarter more, 25% more traffic accidents, you know, that is just a scary thought. They probably didn't see the data. Um, and then psychosis. So a psychosis is a, 
opposed to a neurosis, people with a psychosis are no longer living in the real world. They're living in their mind in a make-believe world. So the classic diagnosis of a psychosis would be schizophrenia. And this group uses more cannabis than any other group. It's one of the things that we learned in medical school is that people who may be predisposed to mental illness frequently, especially schizophrenia, the first time they have an episode is frequently after an episode of drug use. And so this also makes this group of people more violent. And we'll talk to Dr. Jeff Berger about that. Oh, and here we go. I quoted a number that was wrong. It is 33 states have legalized medical cannabis. 10 states have legalized recreational cannabis. There's some of the big states, though, right? Yes, because it's 20% of the states, but 25% of the U.S. population. Now, last year, $8.5 billion was spent on marijuana. It's expected to reach $75 billion in, in 11 years by 2030. Tobacco currently is at $125 billion a year. Man, see, so there's, there's a lot of money behind this, and a lot of times those are the folks who are lobbying the hardest to get this legalized. You know, there's an article in, uh, in JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, just from May 16th, 2019 on the need for federal regulation of marijuana marketing. I mean, not only is the United States only one of two countries in the world that has direct-to-consumer advertising for medications, but now online there's this whole new wild west of advertising for medical marijuana. One such well-funded site, which will remain unnamed because I don't want to drive anybody there, says that it can, quote, reduce anxiety, pain, and so much more, including reducing menstrual cramps, acne, and treat opioid addiction. But there's no <laughs> national health warnings like with tobacco. And yet, in small print, on this website, it says, quote, we cannot guarantee the accuracy of any marijuana information provided. In other words, this website is based on real facts except that they've been changed. <laughs> you know, I, I actually saw that article as well in JAMA, and it was shocking to me. Uh, the point that they brought out was, who is being marketed marijuana? It's not the folks in chronic pain or with cancer at the end of their life. They're not getting mailers about this, and they're not seeing commercials. They're marketing this to, to young adults and kids, even teenagers. I think that's very dangerous. I know our guest, Jeff Berger, thinks it's uh, very dangerous. They're really just trying to increase future clientele. Oh, yeah. And I mean, we know, and one of the things we're going to talk about is the number of people who start using marijuana. So many continue using it through their life. It's really not a one-and-done thing for most people. And what did you learn, Andrew, in Michigan about the average age of the person that was medically approved? Oh, yeah. It, it was shocking to me. You know, they have this poster child of this cancer patient in severe pain, nothing else will work, very near the end of their life. We just want to help them. So, of course, medical marijuana is the best thing. It gets legalized. you got to get the card. Average age of the cardholder, 24 years old. I don't think 24-year-olds are the typical cancer patients in chronic pain. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, that's just the, an example. Or really, it, it just shows how the people who are advocating for this and what they're describing the need for it's really not the people who are using it. Most people are using it recreationally. And before the break, we have our patented medical trivia question of the day, which is related to our topic. According to the World Health Organization, about 2.5% of the world's population consumes cannabis in some fashion. In the United States, the most recent figure was three times that. 7.5% of those over age 12 consume it. Here's the question. Which state according to a Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration 2017 survey, had the highest per capita use, and that 16.3% of this state's citizens aged 12 and older used it. Man, one in 50 chance. And you will hear the answer after the interview, at least in the fourth quarter of the show, here on Dr. Doctor. Please stay tuned for our guest, Dr. Jeff Berger. Welcome back. It's interview time on Dr. Doctor, and we have with us today on the other end of the line, Dr. Jeff Berger. He's an internal medicine specialist who has been working in addiction medicine since 1983. He's the medical director of uh, Guest House in Lake Orion, Michigan. 
It was founded in 1956. It's a lay-run treatment center for Catholic clergy and Catholic men and women religious with addictive disorders. Dr. Berger has six children. He's been married for 43 years, and his wife, Anne, loves his sense of humor, just like Andrew and my wife love our (laughs) sense of humor. You can interpret that any way you want to. Jeff, thank you for being back with us on Dr. Doctor. It's a delight to be with you, Andrew and Tom. Well, Jeff, I would like you to start with a story. I want you to tell the story of an adolescent boy or girl who starts using marijuana. What's the natural trajectory of their life? Yeah, that's a great question, Tom. So a young boy or a young woman who starts using marijuana First of all, it's, it's, the, the landscape is changing, but most oftentimes they're led into it by a peer or a group of peers. And sometimes nowadays also by a parents uh, educating their children into marijuana use. What happens is that marijuana produces a state of intoxication. We can talk about that a little bit later. But um, it introduces the young, young lad or young woman into the, into the, the state of intoxication. Uh, the surrender of one's will and and reason to a chemical may or may not be uh, enjoyed. Uh, some people will uh, in, will not will leave the marijuana alone, not getting much out of it. They may try some other drugs, alcohol and tobacco. Usually, are commonly marijuana are the ones that are usually commonly first tried. If a youngster likes uh, marijuana, oftentimes it will stay with them, probably for about twenty twenty five years. Uh, so that's a long time for a company to, to earn money off of somebody. So, so Jeff, you're and, saying that not everybody who tries marijuana enjoys it. I didn't realize correct. that. Yeah. So, so no, not everybody. Do you have a percentage or a rough idea? You know, from from talking with folks, again, this is just my clinical experience. I, I would estimate that probably 60 to 70 percent of people enjoy marijuana, but a good 30 percent just don't get any much out of it when they try it. Okay. Your your experience has been that the folks that do try it and enjoy it, usually it's not a one and done thing. It's it's something that stays with them. That's correct. That's correct. And what percent Um, of them are addicted? And how do you tell addiction versus someone who just enjoys it? Is it a spectrum or is it a black and white thing? No, there's a spectrum. Um, and addiction is a, a well-defined disorder by the American Society of Addiction Medicine and, and also by the American Psychiatric Association. So there are defined criteria that you can meet. Um, some of those are, for example, tolerance to the drug, withdrawal from the drug, using the drug in, sti- in, in spite of problems uh, or adverse effects. Those are those are common elements of the criteria for addiction. And those those will hold true for marijuana just like they will for any other drug. So if they use it for 20 to 25 years, why do they stop it? Not everyone does. Some people will continue using it, but my experience is that probably 80% of people who are using it like that will stop somewhere around the between the ages of 25 and 35 because at that point the drug begins to produce more anxiety and paranoia uh, for some reason. It, it, you know, the, the adolescent brain stops changing around 25, and it's interesting that's that's when start to see this shift to the drug producing a lot of anxiety and paranoia uh-huh. and people will give it up around that period of time. But don't people use um, it before that because it helps prevent anxiety? Yes. Uh-huh. So there's a there, there's a shift uh, that happens for some reason about that time and that's not understood at all from myself either clinically or uh, in the literature. Well since you brought up anxiety and paranoia um, <coughs> Uh, who is Alex Berenson, published a book recently about the relationship between marijuana and violence and those with uh, psychoses like schizophrenia. What is the relationship there? Oh, it's real clear. Uh, If you even go back to the basic science, uh, the... uh, you know where mar- marijuana acts as a CB1, CB2 receptors in the in the central nervous system in yes. the brain, um, and it, it's involved in things like reward and cognition, appetite control, uh, it, but it also is responsible for behavior uh, and behaviors, including addictive behaviors like alcoholism, uh, eating disorders, but also for depression, schizophrenia. 
So what's happening nowadays, of course, the the um, THC potency is is much higher. Yes. Um, also, be, because of the, gen, the deliberate genetic breedings, the, the CBD um, content of marijuana plants is generally lower. Um, so, whereas it, 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 which which has a multi, multiplicative because uh, the CBD reduces the psychosis effect of THC, doesn't it? If there's more CBD, yes. C- yes. CB1 alters the um, configuration of, of the uh, marijuana receptor in the brain so that THC doesn't bind as well to it. Uh, got it. Now, Dr. Berger, you, you had kind of dispelled one of the things already that I've heard frequently, many people claiming that you can't get addicted to marijuana. Uh, a lot of people, I, I find people who are marijuana advocates, so to speak, try and draw a lot of parallels to things that are legal uh, at certain ages like nicotine and alcohol. One of the things that I wondered if you could address was the type of intoxication that folks experience with marijuana. Can can you consume marijuana without becoming intoxicated? I mean, uh, like someone would consume alcohol appropriately. Do, do people smoke marijuana for the flavor? Um, or do would you say that this okay. is distinctly different than than alcohol or other drugs? Well, it, it is distinctly different than alcohol because one can consume alcohol without becoming intoxicated, particularly because most of the population, you know, 80, 85, uh, 80 to 85% of the population just doesn't get the, the tremendous euphoria from the alcohol that an alcoholic gets. Ah. Um, but, but even, you know... Uh, so one can enjoy alcohol, the, the flavor of it, the way it goes with the meals, um, perhaps some of the effect of the lessening of anxiety that might happen and, and uh, the increased sociability that can happen when you drink a glass of wine with a meal with a friend. Um, all of these things can happen, but they, they don't reflect intoxication. Intoxication is a very, very, I've become very interested in this. Uh, and in, intoxication is, is actually... Um, giving ourselves over to something or someone else. Uh, when Miro Cantalanaisa talks about the sober intoxication of the spirit, uh, hmm. when he talks about the way our brains are, are made to give ourselves over to God and experience God in, in, a, in a complete way, let him take us over completely. And that's very consistent with all of Catholic thought and teaching. We wanted to abandon ourselves to God. But what happens when, when one takes a, a, a chemical such as... A, uh, marijuana and smokes it deliberately for intoxication. One is really surrendering one's reason and one's will um, to the effect of the drug, to the drug itself. And if you look at at what's happening inside, you you see that the, the neural parts of the brain, for example, the precuneus and the uh, and the prefrontal networks responsible for executive functioning. And the subcortical networks, are, which are process, responsible for processing of habits and routine behavior, all of this becomes under the control of the drug. And all of it is subverted to continue use of the drug. So instead of giving yourself over to the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you're giving yourself over to the spirit of marijuana. Now, uh, exactly. I'm struck by that, uh, that analogy. You know, and I think that's brilliant, Jeff. I think that's telling. Uh, Jeff, uh, I interrupted you before you got to finish the relationship between schizophrenia, violence, and marijuana. Because most people want to believe, or, or do believe, that marijuana makes people mellow and couldn't possibly contribute to violent crime. No, so if you, I mean, there's a very, a very good research article by the. Uh, NIH that summarizes the effects of marijuana and and uh, cannabidiol, for example, and it, in that, the, if you look at the two of them, marijuana is a, is a potent intoxicant. CBD is not, right? Um, but marijuana produces impairment of short-term memory. Uh, it also um, produces anxiety, uh, and in people who are um, genetically predisposed to things like marijuana, uh, schizophrenia, it does increase, notably increase their risk of, of schizophrenia. And this is very clear from all the data that we have uh, that's come out within the last 10 years. 
I mean, it was something that was guessed at back when I my hair was still black <laughs> but but there's no doubt about it anymore. <laughs> We're about as certain as that as the potency of marijuana has increased so. yeah, from like two to twenty five percent in some strains I've read yes, you have already yeah, that, go ahead yeah that's that's what if you remember i don't I remember very vividly when. Uh, synthetic cannabinoids flooded the market. They came mostly from China, mm-hmm. a K2 and Spice. Yes. Uh, and the do you remember all of the absurd uh, behavior that came out of that? Uh, oh, I, there was lots of violence, lots of psychosis. I remember and seeing these people in the ER, and it gave the impression to me of, of nothing like a, a common marijuana user. These people would would do things, hurt themselves, hurt others, and things that were not even... Uh, they didn't even make sense as far as violence goes. These people were completely psychotic. Yes, and what's happening with the increased potency of the marijuana and the decreased protective CBD in the plants, we're getting close to, to doing what the synthetics are doing. Jeff, you've already dispelled one myth that uh, cannabis is not addictive. It can be, and I think you've quoted to me before 11% of people who use it become addicted to it physically. Is that correct? That's correct, but it's 17% if you start using it when you're an adolescent. Wow. Okay. That's pretty high. So another myth, if and, or, or is it a myth? 25 to 50% of people who use cannabis daily will become addicted oh. to it. Oh, wow. 20, yeah, 25 to 50%. So, Jeff, so. true, false, cannabis is a gateway drug. Yes. I mean, we don't have any studies that show that. But I, I can summarize a few a few points for sure. you. Besides my own clinical experience, um, and every I mean, this is held true through, through the 35 years that I've done addiction medicine. It's, cannabis is almost always one of the first drugs that's used. But there's a, a couple other points that go along with that. We know that um, uh, if somebody is using cannabis, they are at increased risk for developing an opioid use disorder later in life. I've I've heard uh, people say that cannabis should be the cure of the opioid crises that we're living in in this country. Yeah, Sigmund Freud thought that cocaine would cure the heroin crisis. (laughs) (laughs) See, when when you follow the science and you look at the data, a lot of times you get to different conclusions. And and they thought that heroin was going to solve morphine addiction in the late 19th century. And then they thought methadone was going to stop heroin addiction. It's just... And, and heroin was sold across the calendar as a, as a cough, cough suppressant. suppressant. Oh yes, yes. Amazing. Well, well Dr. Berger... I mean, how often do we have to repeat this story? I, I'd like to dive into this a little bit more. This is a wonderful interview. We're going to go ahead and take a break here uh, from the Dr. Doctor, the official radio program of the CMA, and we'll be back with Dr. Jeff Berger discussing marijuana and medical marijuana after the break. We're back with the third segment of Dr. Doctor, back into the interview with Dr. Jeff Berger. Jeff, in the last segment, we briefly touched upon the relationship between marijuana and its helpfulness in opioid use disorder. In fact, in today's editorial page in my uh, newspaper here in Northeast Indiana, it mentioned that it doesn't help. What do you know about marijuana use for treating addiction to opioids? We don't have any scientific data because I think that no one's had to foolishness to try to try that but this has been a common sort of thing uh, that does go on and, and even in some places uh, it has been uh, I remember people trying to use uh, psychostimulants to, to treat cocaine use disorder this does not work once addictions present you can't treat addiction by using another addicting drug you're just you're just furthering the disease process with a different different drug well, and especially, I, I like how you describe the disease process. The The addictive behaviors are still present. You can't rob Peter to pay Paul. You know, I, I've had a lot of patients tell me, you know, I, that they, they smoke marijuana, um, even though it's illegal where, where we're recording in Indiana. Um, but they say, you know, it's the only thing that works for me. Uh, Dr. Berger, what are some of the upsides, according to marijuana users, uh, that they are pursuing when they when they smoke marijuana, especially for medical purposes. Um, muscle spasticity is is relaxed. It's uh, anti-epileptic function. It lowers uh, intraocular pressure, so it's useful for treating glaucoma. Uh, 
It increases your appetite, so it's useful for wasting syndrome. Um, it uh, looks pretty when it grows. It smells nice when you. It makes you uh, um, grow three heads and be more smarter, and <laughs> I, or at least think you are. Yes. You know, if, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, if you, I think one of the things that if you look at what the literature and what's in the print and everything that's being promoted, you know, something that, that, that puzzles me about marijuana that's not present with any other drug that I'm aware of, there's almost an evangelistic quality that, that goes on with people who are using ah, marijuana. That's, that's a good insight. It is. Well, it, it, it's almost like they're trying to convert the whole world to this drug. And, well, I'd like to go at it from a different (laughs) angle. It's like, really, why is there this interest in it? Because THC has been available for over 30 years as dronabinol or nabilone, can be prescribed for nausea, vomiting, appetite stimulation, pain, spasticity. So if this is available already, why do so many people think there's a need to legalize other cannabis sources, such as the whole plant? Well, you know, I'd like to I'd like to bring up an angle here, Tom, which I think maybe has some valid criticism of, of, of physicians in medicine these days. Okay, because I, you, you're probably aware of the tremendous growth in alternative medicines oh, um, yes. and alternative medicine practices, and they're, they're, within the the young, especially the millennials, there's a great distrust of the. Um, established um, healing, I mean, anything that's establishment, there's a great distrust in it. Um, and so they're looking more for natural kinds of products rather than um, highly refined, uh, technologically uh, produced products. And I think that might be one of the drivers that's going on right now uh, with marijuana being seen as something that nature produces and therefore it, it, it's very hard to argue that it would be something, nature would produce something bad. You know, and I was thinking, so does this mean that they would rather chew on the bark of a willow tree than take an aspirin, eat a foxglove plant than take digitalis, or or chew on the bark of a cinchona tree instead of taking anti-malarial medicines for malaria? I mean, to me, that's the analogy. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, the other thing is is that there's tre- there's tremendous uh, there's a whole lot of products out there. Uh, that have uh, some utility and some uh, help for people with a lot less of the side effects that that, that pharmaceuticals have. And I, I think uh, maybe it's part of the opioid epidemic, too, that's just really soured people on um, the motives of the <laughs> of the pharmaceutical industry. You know, one, one of the things that struck me when we're talking kind of about motives and the growth of marijuana, I'm I'm from Michigan originally, uh, Jeff, where, oh, where you practice. Great. And when <laughs> great. I was in medical school not very long ago at Michigan State, I went to a conference on uh, okay. medical marijuana after Michigan legalized it. And you had to get the prescription yeah. card, get certified, and then you could purchase marijuana. Um, and right. the marijuana, it was always the poster child's kind of a, a cancer patient or some frail person or you know, even even folks with chronic intractable pain or seizures, things you'll read about. And I was surprised to learn that the average age of the cardholder in Michigan, at least when I was there, was something like 24 years old. Um, yep. What with, with this big push for, for legalizing it, especially for patients, you know, who, who say nothing's, nothing's worked until they tried marijuana, is there not better alternatives? Do we not have anything better? What What's pushing this forward? You know, I think there's two things. Number one is is the, the recent article in JAMA documenting the, the tremendous marketing that's going on and the potential for this to expand what is an $8 billion industry to upwards of $35, $50 billion per year. That's one of the things that I think is pushing it. The second thing that pushing it is if you have something that might relieve a, a bit of muscle spasticity, um, but at the same time is producing a state of intoxication. One of the things that I've seen people confuse over the years, and especially you can see this in opioids, confusing pain relief with the intoxication that the opioids are bringing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and, and they're not aware of it because all of this is happening in not in the the conscious part of the brains, but all this addictive kind of activation is happening in parts of the brain which are not on the level of consciousness. 
So people like the product. They think it's it's doing them well. But it's, I wonder all the time how much of this is just the euphorogenic properties of the drug. That's um, a great point. Else. Kind of the classical conditioning, you, the Pavlovian response where they ring the bell. He doesn't know why he's salivating when he hears a bell ring. Um, but yeah. that, that makes uh, sense. I, I've often wondered, kind of tongue-in-cheek, I wonder if they put nicotine in diabetes medicine if people remember to take their pills. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just woke up. I feel like I really need to take my pills this morning. You know. Yeah. No, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but yeah. I, that I, would be a conflict of interest, Andrew. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't go there. Yeah, they, they aren't marketing that yet. But you bring up a good point. There's a lot of, of money to be made by the people who are selling marijuana. What about the, the evidence on, on Dr. Doctor? We're really big on where does the evidence lead us? Um, how, how would marijuana even be tested against other medications for pain, for example, in head-to-head trials? Uh, you know, it, it hasn't that I'm aware of, um, but we know that there are better drugs for almost everything that marijuana does than marijuana. That is a great we haven't, point. We haven't, seen, we haven't seen the head-to-head, but for example, even the American Ophthalmological Society does not recommend marijuana for use of glaucoma. They have much better agents. And they don't run the risk of addiction. So why would one use marijuana for that purpose other than it's liked the effect of marijuana? So that that makes a lot of sense to me. As as a physician, it's our job to prescribe what we think is the, the best treatment or a variety of reasonable treatments. When you've got an option that seems to be an unreasonable treatment, we can't really get behind it ethically. But I like Jeff's point that he made is... Uh, people like their freedom and they have the freedom to grow a plant versus having to pay money or use insurance to buy a medication in a store. So I guess that part of it I get. That that would be the attractive part. Is that mm-hmm. right, Jeff? That's part of it, I think, yep. And, and so is the euphoria, um, sadly. Well, why is it just about every town I drive through now, because in Indiana now CBD oil is approved, although medical marijuana is not. Why do I see those three big letters everywhere I go? CBD sold here, even gas stations. What's the deal with that? Um, I, th- I think it's because people I have I've, have learned that CBD is not an addictive component of marijuana, but as I also know that it's a component of marijuana. So when they hear that, um, they're thinking, well, there's something here that medicine has overlooked that is not that is going to be able to treat whatever that I, I am still suffering with that is not completely healed uh, at this point in time. Does, so that, there, does that make uh, sense? It, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head because one of the things that I struggle, struggle with in, in discussing with patients is with the CBD, it definitely has effects. We know that. We know there's receptors in the body and it has effects. The, the difficulty I found is in what to encourage it and endorse it because the, the studies aren't there, especially with it not really being regulated by the FDA. Um, are the people who are getting the gas station CBD, are, is that as good as the, uh, the health food store CBD? You know, and it, even just in my, my own clinical experience, I've seen at least two people get sent to the hospital because of side effects of CBD. Um, where it may be helpful, but it may also be harmful. It, it's really been blowing up. Is there anything that, that in your experience, Dr. Berger, you've recommended it for, or have you seen areas where it's really been reasonably increasing based on experience of, of physicians? Um, you know, Alexander Pope said, be not the first by whom the new is tried, <laughs> nor yet the last to lay the old aside. And I think I followed that philosophy with CBD. We have very little... Uh, I was experienced with it. I, I was talking with a physical therapist yesterday, who's, who was. You know, it's been recommended for a lot of uh, phys- muscle problems and bone problems, and the physical therapist was saying, "I don't know how to recommend it because the dosages that I've seen vary by a, a tenfold factor." Oh my goodness! So how do you know? How do you know what is the correct dose? The other thing that really bothers me is. Uh, how, do you really know that that's really just pure CBD? How much THC is in that? Is right. anybody telling you? There's no good manufacturing processes in effect for these. No, and no guaranteed purity of the product. 
I mean, they've tested vitamins and shown that those vary widely. How much more does CBD vary? So we really don't know what we're getting. No, no, or, or how much of it to use when if you do have it. Right, yeah. what's the right dose? What's the best dose? So we on Dr. Doctor are not saying that CBD is a dead end. We're saying we just don't know enough. Is that no, fair? and I'll tell you, that's very fair, and I'll tell you that I think that the trajectory with this is that we'll probably know a lot more in about five years. Which is a good thing. five years. And if it's helpful, It's a wonderful great. thing. And if it's yeah. not, great. You know, I just remembered something I read today, Jeff, because my next question deals with the fact that a quarter of Americans currently live in states where recreational marijuana is available. Mm. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I'm going to ask you, but I, I remember because it ties into a previous question, have we seen an increase in certain types of problems in those states? And I remember this editorial I read said there's about a 20% increase in opioid use disorder in those states where medical marijuana is legal. So it's it's not necessarily causality, but there's a correlation there. Are there other things that have been demonstrated in states where there is legalized medical or recreational marijuana? Yeah, the, the, the traffic uh, safety data is probably the, the solidest uh, data that I know of um, and, and definitely shows an increase in motor vehicle radiation motor vehicle accidents related to uh, legalization of marijuana. And that's not to be, um, you know, you don't wonder at that if it's producing a visual spatial distortion and short-term memory impairment. I mean, there's no, there's no, would we expect anything different? No, <laughs> not at all. That does that. You know, I heard um, a woman say to me recently that, look, we've been trying for decades to get kids and people off of tobacco because it harms our lungs, yet we're trying to legalize something that's going to screw up people's brains. How, how does that make sense? In fact, it's some of the same people who are trying to get rid of tobacco are promoting marijuana. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's tremendous financial incentive to people for doing this. D- Dr. Berger, you kind of a true false for you here, just for our listeners. Okay. Uh, medical marijuana is the same or different than recreational marijuana? That's false. It, 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 it is, it's the same. It's <laughs> the same. <laughs> gotcha. And on that note, we're going to take our final break of the day and be back with a little more here on Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Doctor coming to you from the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We are interviewing today Dr. Jeff Berger, and before we get back to the interview, I would love to hear, Tom, the answer to the trivia question. And the question was, of the 50 United States of America, which one has the highest use among percentage of citizens of any state at 16.3% of citizens 12 and over using it. Now, I, I was sitting here off the air and guessing, and I think I got about a dozen states wrong. And so I was surprised yes. to... The best he did was he got this. number three, which was Colorado, which is at 15%. Number two is Vermont at 16% even. And at 16.3%, we go as far north and west as we can to... Alaska. Alaska. Frequently overlooked, but not by marijuana dispensaries. But not by marijuana dispensaries. So we are back to Dr. (laughs) Berger. We have at least two key concepts we want to go through. The first is uh, a pretty basic one with other drugs, but we haven't considered it, but that there is such a thing as withdrawal in marijuana users who become addicted. Is that right, Jeff? Absolutely. You know, I think the first experience I had with this was uh, memorable for me because it was rather early in my career, and the person I was treating was actually somebody who uh, was about 10 years older than me, but grew up on the same block that I did uh, in childhood. And he had graduated from a very prestigious school, was teaching in a very prestigious school district, and was growing marijuana in his basement. Now, this is about 20 years ago, and finally the the feds got him and nailed him for, for this um, he came into treatment, and what I saw was, um, first of all, his uh, cognitive ability was markedly impaired. His, I mean, just to ask him a question, you could see that it was taking the time for the, the question to filter <laughs> through wow. something in his brain, and then it took him an additional time uh, so that the response time was probably two or three times longer than you would expect in order for him to give you an answer to your question. 
um, all of this disappeared as he stayed sober from marijuana. Wow. But along the way, he became very, very irritable and, and impulsive um, and was very difficult to, for his family to deal with him for a while. Um, there was restlessness. He had sleep difficulties, um, didn't want to eat, uh, felt real anxious. And all of this is very, very, very typical of marijuana withdrawal and was, has been well described over 15 years ago in the literature and validated as, as a, you know, validated as an actual withdrawal So within um, what period phenomenon. of time, having your last ingestion of marijuana, will these symptoms set in in somebody who's addicted? Hours, days? So the, the young, the man that I was talking about, one year later, I saw him, he came back to visit me, and he said, you know, he said, even still, day by day, I noticed improvement from where I was wow. a year ago. Wow. When people a, a lot of time kind of pejoratively conjure up in Im- images of someone who uses marijuana or a pothead type type of uh, picture, mm-hmm. when people stop using, do they do they go back to normal? Is that possible or only partially? Yeah, it is. And <clears throat> one of the things that I've seen um, is that as people begin to as their, as their you know brain begins to clear they begin to notice that it's clearing and they begin to realize how impaired they were from the drug. And that really serves as a very powerful aid and for them to, to maintain sobriety after, um, after being a heavy user. Now, Dr. Berger, we, we've talked a lot about the financial incentives on this show. This is a big industry. A lot of people want marijuana. A lot of people like marijuana. What would you say to investors, Catholic investors, who might want to invest in a marijuana company? Or what about Catholic physicians who want to invest in marijuana for, for medical purposes? Yeah, this is different than investing in, for example, a brewery or a microbrewery where you might produce some beer and and most of that is going to be gone to people who are are you know using a, a, taking a beer or two around a family barbecue or something like that. Um, Again, when you are supporting a marijuana and investing in it, you are investigating in somebody surrendering their reason and their will to the intoxicating effects of a drug and producing a disease process that's going to uh, be with them for the rest of their life and cause untold misery to their family, their friends, and to themselves, and perhaps even death. Do you, do you think, Dr. Berger, that people can <clears throat> use marijuana in a temperate and reasonable way, or does it always lead us to a state of sin? Some people are able to use it in a temperate way, um, but remember that there's always intoxication occurring. So if there's there's intoxication, how can it be temperate? Good question. And I'm not sure that I have the answer to that one. That's an excellent question. I don't think I have the answer to that, but it can be done. I've seen people doing it where they've had three, uh, you know, adobe or two a day, and that's all they use. And that's for, but you know, most of those times people are using other things and they're getting into trouble with other things. Have I seen anybody just doing marijuana without becoming intoxicated, without it becoming addictive? Not very often. What what would you tell Dr. Berger to legislators who are considering legalizing marijuana? Would you support this, or I'm I'm guessing maybe not. You know, I would. What I would tell them is that I would ask them to look at a number of things. You know, this is not the only opioid epidemic that we've had. The first one was actually at the beginning of of the 1900s, at the beginning of the 20th century, and the way that was solved um, was to put the the um, forbid anybody to have the drug or sell the drug, possess the drug, um, buy the drug, except um, if a doctor approved it for medicinal use. Um, and that held true until the 1980s when there became, then there was that great push um, and, the, and the seduction of the American, uh, you know, the American medicine into thinking that we only could prescribe opioids safely in any dose for any length of time. And I would ask them to look at all of that and ponder that. We don't have any data on marijuana because it's not been legal. We're just beginning at this point in time at where we were with the opioid epidemic back in the early 1980s. And do we really want to recreate all of that again? I don't want to. Do you, Andrew? <laughs> no, I, I think I think there's wisdom in looking at our past and 
And one of the points that you you have brought up is, you know, personal stories. If if we have listeners who have a family member or close friends using marijuana, what would you tell them? Is there any advice or, or resources you'd like to give them to go to for more information? Yeah, absolutely. If if they think there's a problem, then I would I would turn to uh, one of the local addiction treatment centers or a counselor who's who's capable of evaluating the situation. Uh, you know, a, a good addictions uh, therapist or addiction medicine physician. Um, there is a, a website called Smart Against Marijuana uh, that has a lot, a lot of good information on it. Um, Patrick Kennedy has been a real active voice for this group, and uh, I would I would advise people to go to that website. They've got lots and lots of good information about marijuana. Dr. Jeff Berger. Thank you so much for being our guest again on Dr. Doctor. This is a wealth of excellent information. Thank you for our listeners listening to another episode of our show, the official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. And we're brought to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend and invite them to listen to back episodes on iTunes or Google Play Podcasts. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor, where we will be discussing the life of a second-year medical student with Brendan Radigan. He is a medical student at Marion University School of Osteopathic Medicine, and we had an update from him after his first year last year, and we're going to hear about second year next week. This is Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your question to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at redeemerradio.com doctor where you can also find all our past episodes. Keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app or by following us on Facebook at Dr. Doctor Show.